If you have your Bibles this morning, I want to invite you to open with me to two places. Uh, first of all, Jonah chapter 1. We're going to kind of hit that really quick and then Matthew chapter 12. So Jonah chapter 1 and then Matthew uh, chapter 12. So welcome to week 5 of a five-week series where we have walked through the, the book of, of Jonah, a series that we have called I Am Jonah, because as we've seen, we are definitely Jonah. Um, this is a book of a story of a man, uh, a nation, a big fish, but ultimately a, a gracious God. And as we've been saying and seeing all, all throughout, and as I heard a lot last week, we are accustomed to describing the book of Jonah as just a book about a guy who survived inside the belly of a fish and then got vomited out on dry land, and that's as often as far as we go with the story. I, I heard a lot of people last week that said, I've never heard the end of the story. I've never heard um, Jonah 4 and, and that part of it. And So we have to understand that this is not just a story about a man and a fish. This is a story about a gracious God who is the star of the show. And when we see that, we won't be able to hear the words, how great thou art, without singing along and, and rejoicing in this is the God that we serve. And just let me remind you this morning that, that some people read this book and get hung up on the fish, although the fish is only mentioned four times in the book of Jonah. Others, and even non-believers, um, know the story of Jonah with Jonah as the main character, but many people either see this story only as an interesting tale about a man who was swallowed up by a fish, or they see it as a story that we should obey God, and if we don't obey God, we will get swallowed up by a fish. So that's kind of um, the, the picture of how many people see it. Yet, let me say this, that is a shallow understanding of this book. The reality is the theme of this book is God and God alone. There are 48 verses in the book of Jonah, and God appears in 38 of them. He takes the initiative in this story. Think about it. It is God who commands Jonah to go to Nineveh. It is God who hurled the great wind upon the sea. It is God who calmed the sea. It is God who appointed the fish. It is God who came to Jonah a second time time yet with the same command it's God who convicted the hearts of the Ninevites it's God who had mercy on them it's God who appointed a plant over Jonah to comfort him and then it's God who appointed a plant or excuse me a worm to eat the plant and then who appointed a scorching wind to blow on Jonah and make him miserable God got the first word in the book of Jonah and at the end God gets the last word and the book of Jonah. This book is all about him. In the words of G. Campbell Morgan, men have been looking so hard at the great fish, they have failed to see the great God. And I, I pray that we have not missed the greatness of God in our time in this book. And ultimately, and this is where we are this morning, ultimately this book leads us to the God-man. Ultimately this book, the book of Jonah, leads us to Jesus and the book of Jonah ends, just think about this, the book of Jonah ends with God pitying Nineveh. Yet, the beautiful thing is God's pity doesn't stop with Nineveh. God's pity continues on even to us. In fact, the banner hanging over Jonah, in fact, the banner hanging over this whole word is 2 Peter 3.9. that tells us the Lord is not slow concerning his promises, as some count slowness. But God is patient, get this, not willing that any 
should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God is not willing that any should perish. God is patient. He is merciful. And then the Bible tells us when the fullness of time came, God sent forth His Son. So what I want us to do this morning is I want us to once again dive in to the book of Jonah. We're going to look at one verse, Jonah 1.17, and then we're going to jump over to Matthew 12 and see that one greater than Jonah has come and how that all relates to uh, so if you're able to, I'm going to ask you to stand as we honor God's word. We're going to read Jonah 1.17 together and then jump over to Matthew 12. So Jonah 1.17 says this, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now if we can turn over to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12, and we're going to look at verses 38 through 41. Matthew 12, 38 through 41. And when you get there, and it says this, then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him saying, teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, listen to the words of Jesus here, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Let's pray together. Father, we want to come to your word humbly today. Lord, realizing that a familiar story such as Jonah, God points us to a greater Jonah, points us to Jesus. And Lord, help us today not to miss one part of, of this, God, and how Jesus being the greater Jonah affects our lives. Lord, help us to see it. Help us to respond to it. Keep us humble, Lord. Help us to, as we just sang, to be able to say, there's no one, no, not one, no one like Jesus. No, not one. Lord, just speak to your people today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And you may be seated. So I want you to think with me. The, the events described in the book of Jonah took place about 800 years before the life of Jesus. And there seems to be nothing in the book that makes us think about Jesus, especially since the, the main character, Jonah, or the main character in our eyes, which is Jonah, um, is a rebellious and stubborn Man, three days in the belly of a fish, and the only thing that was conquered was his will. His heart, as we saw last week, had not yet been conquered. And this is where we see that God is not just after our obedience, brothers and sisters. God is after a new kind of obedience, where we obey God with a grateful heart because of his grace upon us. In fact, let me say it this way. People who understand the grace of God normally don't have to be begged to do anything for God. People who understand the grace of God say, I get to serve the Lord. I get to serve him uh, with my life. And I was reminded this past week of what the prospects of Jonah might have looked like um, before surrendering to God. As I know some of you might be getting tired of Malachi stories, but I'm not getting tired of them yet. So when I do, I'll, I'll uh, let you know. Malachi started school um, this week in kindergarten. And it only took him three days. So it only took him three days to figure out his way around the system. And what I mean by that is this. So Malachi started school. On the third day, he comes home, 
and I knew his book bag was a little heavier than normal, so I opened it up, and his lunchbox was in it, and it was heavy, so I opened it up, and all of his food was in there. And I said, Malachi, did you not eat your lunch today? And he said, no. And so, of course, I called Misty, and I was like, what in the world? And, and what did you pack him? And she told me, and the only thing that was missing, what she said was Cheetos. So I asked him, did you eat your Cheetos? And he said, yes, in class at my desk, and I made a mess. And I said, okay, well, that's good to know. So I emailed the teacher, and I said, you know, I just wanted to bring this to your attention. Don't know who to tell this, but um, Malachi said he did not eat. His, his lunchbox was, was full. Don't know what happened. And so the teacher responded pretty quickly, and she said, well, I know what happened. Um, he followed me into the lunch line um, and got food from the cafeteria today. Um, and so, of course, I said, buddy, um, did you eat lunch? And he said, I didn't eat my lunch. And I said, that's not what I'm asking you. Whose lunch did you eat? Did you eat in the cafeteria? He said, they have delicious chocolate milk. And I said, I'm sure they have delicious chocolate milk. And so um, the teacher then responded and said, I think I know what happened. Yesterday, she told me, um, yesterday, he wanted to go in the lunch line with us, but I told him he couldn't because he didn't have his lunch. He had his lunchbox. So today he told me that he didn't have his lunchbox so that he could go through the line. Does that sound like him? And I said, oh, yes, absolutely. That sounds like him. So think about this. This little boy who's been in the United States for, for 10 months, it took him three days to figure out his way around the system. Now, granted, that shows us this whole picture of depravity, of sin, more than we could ever begin to imagine. But as we see the story of Jonah, what we see is a guy who's trying to figure out any way around the system. In fact, most scholars believe that when Jonah was saying, hey, pick me up and throw me in, what Jonah was really wishing for is, hey, guys, pick me up and throw me in. I'm going to die, and I won't have to obey God. Jonah was looking for a way around the system. And when you think about the sin of Jonah, think about this. Imagine a fish rebelling against the ocean. Imagine a fish going, I'm sick and tired of you, ocean, and flopping up upon the shore. Imagine a fish saying, I'll show you, I don't need you. And imagine how that would end up for the fish. And this is exactly what we see in Jonah running from God. And then think about the distinctions between Jonah and Jesus. Jonah disobeyed God as much as he could. Jesus delighted in obeying God every way that he could. Jonah had limits to his obedience of where he was willing to go for God. Jesus had no limits to his obedience, even, according to Hebrews 12, too, joyfully going to the cross. Jonah despised the idea of people who were far from God coming to know God. Jesus, however, longed for sinners to be reconciled to God. These two couldn't be any further apart to us, yet Jesus himself in Matthew 12 invites us to look to Jonah in order to find a sign of the gospel. It leaves us, leaves us scratching our heads a little bit. The picture that we seem to get from the word, the picture that we seem to get from Jesus is that 800 years after the account of Jonah, another Jonah gets a call to go preach. That other Jonah, this new Jonah, this greater Jonah, his name is Jesus. And he is our good news. He is our hope. And if you are a runner this morning, and I'm not talking about if you get up every morning and go running. I'm talking about if you are a runner from God, and we all either are or have been, there is good news because Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter 12 that one greater than Jonah has come. Therefore, where Jonah failed, Jesus succeeded. Where 
Jonah, the first Jonah ran, the greater Jonah accepted God's call. Where the first Jonah faltered, the greater Jonah was victorious. If you are a runner running from God, here's a beautiful truth this morning. There is hope. Your story doesn't have to end in bad news. You don't have to be done. Your story is not over. A greater Jonah has come, and get this, instead of running from God, this greater Jonah is running to God, and this greater Jonah is chasing us. This is the beautiful picture. The greater Jonah has come, and he is chasing us. So this morning, in light of the story of Jonah, in light of the declaration of Christ in Matthew 12, as the greater Jonah, what I want us to do is I want us to unpack three, three ways today that Jesus is greater than Jonah. And this, these might seem obvious or duh statements to us, but there's, there's so many amazing truths in these. Just, just follow with me here. You don't want to miss this. And as we look at these words today, these truths, be reminded of the words that we heard uh, two weeks ago, that we should see ourselves in Jonah and be warned. And then we should also see Jesus in Jonah and worship. So we should see ourselves in Jonah and be warned. We should see Jesus and Jonah and worship him. So three truths we want to unpack that show us how Jesus is greater than Jonah. So the first truth is this. Jesus was greater than Jonah in his message. He was greater than Jonah in his message. Think about the message of Jonah in Jonah 3, 4. Jonah says, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Yet 40 days, Nineveh is going to be overthrown and then think about one of the messages, one of the first messages that Jesus proclaims in Matthew 4, verse 17. And it says, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jonah went to Nineveh and preached an eight-word message. One of Jesus' first sermons was a nine-word message. It sounds kind of similar, very similar to what Jonah himself said. The difference is when we think about the book of Jonah Jonah doesn't speak of the compassion of God. Jonah doesn't mention the love of God, the mercy of God, the forgiveness of, of God. Jonah shows up only announcing a message of condemnation, and pretty much that's all that Jonah wanted. Yet Jesus shows up, get this, Jesus shows up not with a message of condemnation. Jesus shows up saying, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And then saying this, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Why? Because the world's already condemned, but that the world through him might be saved. This was the message of Jesus. Yet the ultimate difference, get this, is that God sent Jonah to declare a message. God sent Jesus to be the message. There's a huge difference. God sent Jonah to declare a message. God sent Jesus to be the message. I love the words of J. Sidlow Baxter who says this. Fundamentally, please hear this, our Lord's message was himself. Jesus did not come merely to preach a gospel. He himself is that gospel. He did not come merely to give bread. He said, I am the bread. He did not come merely to shed light. He said, I am the light. He did not come merely to show the door. He said, I am the door. He did not come merely to point us to a shepherd. He said, I am the good shepherd. And he did not come merely to point to a way. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except through me. Jesus came not just as the messenger. Jesus came as the message from God. 
And this is the point. So Jesus was greater than Jonah in his message. But then secondly, Jesus was greater than Jonah in his mercy. He was greater than Jonah in his mercy. As we saw last week in Jonah chapter 4, verse 1, it says this, but it. Now what is the it there? And the it is, but it meaning the repentance of Nineveh and the compassion of God to forgive them. Both of those things together displeased Jonah exceedingly. So the fact that Nineveh repented and the fact that God forgave them or had compassion made Jonah mad. I'm talking like hissy fit, pitching a little two-year-old temper tantrum, mad. And then consider that thought that someone repenting could make you mad. And then think about the words of Matthew 9. It says that Jesus, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion upon them because they were helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Just think about this picture. Jonah hated the people of Nineveh. Jonah only went to Nineveh because God forced him to. And yet Jesus could not have been more different. Jonah ran away from his assignment. Jesus ran towards it. In fact, Luke 9 says Jesus steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. Even though death awaited him, he set his face there. All of us, if we knew, if we knew today that there was a trip that we had planned to Georgia and we knew that death awaited us there, guess what? We'd be going to Miami. I mean, that's just the reality for most of us. But Jesus knew death and he set his face to go there. Jonah sat outside of the city of Nineveh hoping that God would change his mind and destroy it. Instead, Jesus stood outside of Jerusalem and wept and pleaded that God would save her. The only reason that Jonah delivered a message to Nineveh is because Jonah wanted to save his own life. Jonah knew that if he kept disobeying God, God would kill him. Yet Jesus delivered this message even though it cost him his own life. Think about this. Jonah was more upset that God would destroy a plant. He cared way more about that than he cared about 120,000 people in Nineveh who were lost and didn't know any difference. And yet Jesus' heart broke for people who would not come to him to receive eternal life. In sending Jonah to, to Nineveh, God showed boundless grace and faithfulness even through an unmerciful and an unwilling prophet. Yet eight centuries later, God would send another messenger to sinful people. Only this messenger went willfully and this messenger went joyfully because this messenger, not, he didn't just know the heart of God, this messenger was the heart of God. For where Jonah did not love what God loved, Jesus loved what God loved. Jesus had a heart of God for people. And again, please don't miss this today. Don't miss the mercy of God here. God loved Nineveh. I told you on week one the wickedness of Nineveh. If you weren't here, then just go do a little history of how wicked Nineveh was. God loved Nineveh, idolatrous, unspeakably cruel, barbaric Nineveh. You know what, brothers and sisters? That in and of itself is a sign to us that God will have mercy on us. That's a sign to us. For God is indeed merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and 
faithfulness. This is who God is. Yet, let's be honest, that's not who Jonah was. Jonah didn't want Nineveh to be forgiven. Jonah didn't want Nineveh to receive God's mercy or his grace. That wasn't the hope of Jonah for Nineveh. Think about this. Remember the words of the king. So Jonah comes on the scene and Jonah says, 40 days and you guys are done. And then the king in Jonah chapter 3 verse 9 says, Hey guys, everybody, everybody we're fasting and everybody repent. And then the king says this, Who knows, God may turn and relent that we will not perish. Listen to those, those two words, who knows, who knows. By contrast, get this, brothers and sisters, by contrast, because of Christ, we know. Christ did not come on the scene saying, if you come to me, who knows what will happen to you? No, Jesus came on the scene and said, whoever is weak, whoever is heavy laden, come to me and you will get rest. It wasn't come to me and who knows what's going to happen. It's come to me and this is what you will receive. You will receive me. Don't miss the mercy of God. Don't miss the mercy of Christ. I love what Hebrews 2.3 says. Hebrews 2.3 says, How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? And the answer is we won't. If we neglect the mercy of God, if we neglect the salvation of God, we won't escape. But yet... Praise God for his mercy and giving us a way of escape. Let me just say this this morning. A lot of people come up to me and I, I hear conversations where people say, well, if God is so loving, how could God, a loving God, send people to hell? And I use this, I even used this a couple weeks ago on a, a Jehovah Witness that just so happened, bless their heart, to come to my door. And uh, I, I asked them, they wanted to read uh, Revelation 21 to me. I said, I agree with Revelation 21, but let me, I don't believe you agree or you believe the rest of the book of Revelation. Do you really believe this? And the woman said, how can a good God send people to hell? And I said, well, let me ask you this. Were you aware that that's not the question of the Bible? Were you aware that the question of the Bible is not how can a loving God send people to hell, but how can a holy God allow sinful people to enter into heaven? Are you aware that that's the question of the Bible? And the only answer is because God is rich in mercy and grace. That he allows a way. So Jesus was greater than Jonah, not just in his message, but also in his mercy. And then last, Jesus was greater than Jonah, get this, in his mission. Jesus was greater than Jonah in his mission. Listen to the mission of Jonah in Jonah chapter 1. And verse 2, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. Speak against it. God says the same thing in Jonah chapter 3. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Arise, go to Nineveh, speak out against it. Think about that mission over Jonah. Speak out against a city. And then think about the mission of Jesus in, in Mark 10, where Jesus said, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Think about that mission. You know, we oftentimes, if we're going to be honest, we oftentimes fail to see that Jonah actually gives us a picture of the real Savior who would come into the world. In Matthew 12, Jesus says that he was the prophet like Jonah. Jesus said that his death and resurrection would be a fulfillment of the sign given through Jonah. So think about this. Jonah was cast into the sea. Why? Because of Jonah's sin. The sea became calm 
Then God appointed a fish to swallow Jonah. And that fish took Jonah down to the depths of the ocean. Three days later, Jonah was brought back to the land of the living. So Jonah, in essence, resurrected from the dead. And that was the sign to Nineveh. Jonah surviving three days in the fish, being resurrected, was literally a sign to, to Nineveh of the power of God. But then fast forward 800 years to the cross. At the cross, Jesus was cast into the ocean of God's wrath. And that great storm of God against our sin became calm. Jesus threw himself into the sea of God's wrath. Get this. For us. He was in the heart of the earth for three days, and like Jonah, he then resurrected. The difference, of course, was that Jonah went through all of this involuntarily because of Jonah's sin. Jesus went all, through all of this voluntarily, get this, because of our sin. Jesus went, Jonah went through what he went through because of his sin. Jesus went through what he went through because of ours. And when we think about it, Nineveh's hope, Nineveh's hope was that God would relent from the destruction that he had promised that he was going to bring. Yet here's the beautiful thing. Don't miss this today, brothers and sisters. The hope of the gospel is not just that God relents. The hope of the gospel, the message of the gospel is that Jesus took our place. I heard something this week that stirred my heart in such an amazing way. And it was this. The gospel can be summed up in four words. The gospel can be summed up in four words. Get this, Jesus in my place. That's a summary of the gospel in four words. Jesus in my place. That's the heart of the gospel. Therefore, consider the mission of Jesus when compared to the mission of Jonah. Jonah ran from his enemies. Jesus ran towards them. Jonah was on a mission of revenge because he hated Nineveh. Jesus came on a mission of rescue. Get this, because he loved us. Jonah was all about self-protection. Jesus laid his life down and self-sacrificed for us. Therefore, in closing, and let me just say those two words mean nothing. I'm just make you feel better about that we're eventually going to end. But in closing, which means we still got a few more minutes here, I want to show you, I want to take you to two passages of Scripture that show us the difference in Jonah's mission versus Jesus. If you can turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. In Hebrews chapter 10, Hebrews 10 is in a beautiful, amazing picture of the sacrifice of Christ and then our responsibility um, and the assurance of the faith, how we as the body of Christ can, can move. But Hebrews 10 gives us an amazing picture of a conversation that took place between God the Father and God the Son before Jesus came from heaven to earth. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture. Hebrews 10, beginning at verse 5. When you get there, Amen. just listen to this. Verse 5, consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, so Christ coming into the world, turns to God the Father and says, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me, and burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. And don't miss this. 
Read it again if you need to as I describe this. Jesus is on the edge of heaven, about to condescend, about to step down into earth, about to take on the form of flesh, about to become a baby. And right before he steps down, Jesus looks at his father and says this, my whole mission, my whole purpose, I will go and I will use the body that you give me to do your will. In fact, that same message applied right before the cross when Jesus said, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus was about to step down, declaring, coming to do the will of the Father. He was on a He was on a mission, Jesus was, to save us, you and me, from our sins. And unlike Jonah, our actions did not deter Jesus. Unlike Jonah, the way we treated Jesus did not make Jesus want us to die in our sins. In fact, the Bible tells us while we were still in our sins, Christ died for us. This was God's will for his son. And we are so thankful that Jesus was without a doubt committed to the will of his father. For he was committed to our salvation. But then let me show you a second verse, a second distinct difference. When we get to this picture in Mark chapter 4. In Mark chapter 4, if you can turn there real quick. There's another one more distinct difference is found between Jonah and Jesus. Mark chapter 4. Verses 35 through 39. And this is probably a more familiar story to us. Mark 4, 35 through 39. When you get there, when the rest of you get there, or if you just want me to think that I'm, you're following along with me. So verse 35 says, On that day, when evening had come, he, Jesus, said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. I don't know if you, if you saw this, but Mark, the gospel writer here, deliberately lays this account out using almost identical language to the language we hear in the story of Jonah. Think about this. Both Jonah and Jesus were in a boat. Both of these boats were overtaken by storms. The description of these storms are almost identical. Both Jesus and Jonah were asleep. In both stories, the sailors woke Um, the, the passenger, the sleeper up and said, we are about to die. In both cases, there was a miraculous divine intervention and the sea was calm. Further, in both stories, the sailors became even more terrified after the miracle than they were before the miracle because of all that had happened. Two most almost identical stories except for one difference. In the story of Jonah... Jonah looked at the sailors and said to them, there's only one thing that you must do in order to live. If I perish, you will survive. If I die, you will live. Throw me into the storm. And so they threw him into the sea, which doesn't happen in the story of Mark. Or 
does it? Does this happen in the Gospels? In the words of Pastor Tim Keller, I love this. He says, I think Mark is showing that the stories aren't actually different when you stand back and look at it with the rest of the story of Jesus in view. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus said, one greater than Jonah is here, and he's referring to himself. I'm the true Jonah. Someday I'm going to calm all the storms, still all the waves. I'm going to destroy destruction, break brokenness, and I'm going to kill death. And how can Jesus do that? He can only do it because he was on the cross, or when he was on the cross, he was thrown like Jonah into the ultimate storm, under the ultimate waves, the waves of sin and death. Jesus was thrown into the only storm that can actually sink us, the storm of eternal justice, of what we owe for our wrongdoing. That storm wasn't calmed, not until it swept Jesus away. And then he says this, If the sight of Jesus bowing his head into that ultimate storm is burned into the core of our being, we will never again say, God, don't you care about me. Here's the reality, brothers and sisters. If we know that Jesus did not abandon us in the ultimate storm, the storm of God's wrath that was due us, and yet Jesus stood in the way. If we knew and we know that he didn't abandon us there, let's stop acting like he's going to abandon us in the lesser storms that we're going through right now. And I say lesser because there's nothing, no storm greater than the storm of God's wrath against sinners. And Jesus took every last drop of the wrath of God. He took the cup. He turned it upside down, drank it, turned it upside down. It was empty and said, it is finished. Let's stop acting like God might somehow abandon us now. If we can trust him for the greater, which is our eternal salvation, we can trust him in any storm that we're asked to walk through. Amen? Amen. And get this, someday Jesus is going to return and he's going to stop all storms forever. Forever and ever and ever. And if you let that truth go to the core of you, it, you will know that he loves you. You'll know that he cares for you, the good news is that God, through Jesus, provided a way of salvation for us. Not that we deserve it, and definitely not because Jesus deserved to go through what he went through. Jesus didn't deserve to get hurled into the storm of, of God's wrath, but he did it so that you and I might be saved. When Jesus sunk to the depths of the earth, and then when he was himself spit out, because according to Acts 2, it was impossible that, that the death or that grave, the grave could hold him, he made it possible for us to arrive safely on the shore of eternity. And that's not only good news for us today, brothers and sisters, that's good news for everybody. It's good news for everyone. And just let me end this way this morning. What is it that you need to do in light of this series in the gospel or in the book of Jonah. I could say the gospel of Jonah because it points us to the gospel, but in light of this series, what is it that you need to do? Is it that you need to repent of your sins? That you need to stop trusting in yourself? That you need to forsake your sin and turn to Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord? Either, get this, either we will forsake our sin 
or we will forsake the grace that should be ours. Remember the key verse in Jonah chapter, or in the book of Jonah is Jonah 2.8. Those who trust in idols forsake the grace that could be theirs. It's possible, brothers and sisters, it's possible for us to know all of this about Jesus and still not grab a hold of it, still forsake it. In 1833, there was a case called the United States versus Wilson. It was a, a trial in which the defendant, George Wilson, was convicted of robbing the U.S. mail in Pennsylvania. Due to his friend's influence, Wilson was um, pardoned by Andrew Jackson. But in the midst of his pardon, something went wrong. And that was Wilson refused his pardon. He refused to leave prison. So due to these incredible circumstances, the Supreme Court was called in to make a ruling. And here's that the ruling was that if a prisoner would not accept the pardon, the pardon is of no effect. In fact, the court stated this, a pardon is a deed to the validity of which delivery is essential and delivery is not complete without acceptance. It may then be rejected by the person to whom it is tendered. And if it is rejected, we have discovered no power in this court to force it upon him. Therefore, Wilson was not released from prison early because he would not accept his pardon. The question we have to ask ourselves is, have you up until this moment forsaken the grace that could be yours? Knowing the story is not enough. Have you forsaken the grace of God or have you forsaken your sin and turned to Jesus as Savior and Lord? Or secondly, maybe there's others here today that you've trusted Christ, but you've never followed through with the sign of that trust. And think about this. What was the sign of Nineveh's repentance? When you look back and you think about Nineveh, or excuse me, Jonah chapter 3, the sign of Nineveh's repentance was ashes and 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 cloth, this picture of, of dressing themselves up in sackcloth and, and um, wrapping themselves or covering themselves in, in ashes, that was their sign, but that's not the sign that God's given us. The sign that God's given us is baptism. Have you been baptized following conversion? And I talk to people all the time, and some people say, well, I was baptized before. My parents had me baptized when I was a baby. And the last thing I want to do is, is go against my parents. And I'd be um, just doing something that would bring dishonor to them. And think about it this way. Number one, was that not, would that not be what your parents were doing? If you were baptized as an infant, would that not be what your hope of your parents were, that you would be saved and then follow Christ in baptism? Or some people say, well, I'm not... You're trying to get me to switch my denominations. And let me just say this. I can assure you this. Next week, we're going to be baptizing, and you will not hear one word. We, we do not baptize anyone in the name of a denomination. We baptize everyone in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So if, you're, if your goal is you're trying to get us to turn Baptist, no, we're trying to get you to follow Jesus. That's the goal of it all. So next week, what we're going to say is, here is water. What hinders you from being baptized? Or still others, maybe there's others here that you've been here all five weeks, but you've been here reluctantly because you've suffered through this whole sermon series because you know deep in your heart that God has asked you to do something that you haven't done. For the sake of your fellowship with God, even for the sake of others, maybe there's others that need your obedience. For the sake of them, let's obey God and let's do it today. Let's do it today. I'm going to go ahead and ask you to stand. I'm going to ask Brother Frank and the musicians to come forward. 
and we're going to enter into a time of invitation and, and consecration where whatever God is leading us to do, may we do it. So let's pray. Father, we need you. We want you. We love you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he is the greater Jonah. That he ultimately did what Jonah could never do. Save us from our sins. Well, I pray for anyone in this room today or who will be in this room that doesn't know you, that today would be the day of salvation. I pray for anyone in this room today, Lord, that has never followed through with baptism, that you would help them to be obedient in, in that step, realizing that they're not obeying a, a pastor, they're not obeying someone else that's telling them to do so, they're obeying Jesus Christ and the command that he gave. Or Lord, whatever it is that you're telling us to do, Help us to do it in obedience to you for the sake of our fellowship with you and even maybe for the sake of someone else's fellowship with you. Help us to do what we're called to do and help us to do it today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.